Pints and Pies podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Danielle and this guy Mike Eagle is there as well. Tights and Pies podcast. Tights and Stuck inside the house. Uh, welcome to Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with the sincerity and hilarity that deserves. I I worked on that. I workshopped it for like 10 minutes before we started. Like in my head, I'm running through it. We, we got there. Anyway, the voice you're hearing right now, I'm the lovely bunch, Hal Lublin, and I'm joined today by my fellow member of the Nation of Conversation, all Dan's on deck, Danielle Radford. Hi, a, a deck me. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, man. Fans only. And, and our special guest, <laughs> known for his appearances on the independent wrestling scene and for his time in WWE and NXT, it's Simon Grimm. Welcome back to the show, Simon. I'm glad to be back. I, I was supposed to be on a couple weeks ago, and unfortunately, uh, the world decided to end, and now I'm glad we were able to work that out. Yeah, what can you tell? I feel like this is going to be the generational thing that we talk about is where were you when this lockdown began? Were yep. you because you're on the road constantly? Were you on the road at the time? Tell, take a step. <laughs> so, um, when everything started sort of going awry, I was actually heading to Quebec. I had oh. I, I somehow had two shows booked, uh, opposite weekends. Where the first week I was in Quebec, and the next week I was going to go back to Canada to uh, British Columbia. So I was going to be on the east and west coast of Canada, respectively, in the span of seven days. And everything went to hell in between those seven days, so I actually didn't go to uh, the British Columbia. But my trip to Quebec, I had just a 12-hour flight. They're a 12-hour flying day because I had to go from Orlando to Chicago, Chicago to Toronto, then Toronto over to Quebec. I was sitting next to a guy who was just coming back from 14 hours in uh, Tokyo. Ooh. After having come from Singapore, Ooh. after all we're hearing is the viruses, uh, the, the COVID virus is originating at least predominantly in East Asia. And one of oh, the majority of the spread is coming from people who have been traveling there and re- returning to the U.S. And so I'm basically sitting next to patient zero and <laughs> uncomfortable the, the, the flight there. You know, I've got, oh, the, I've got the hand sanitizer and I'm just, you know, he, I actually had to borrow his pen to fill out my landing, my landing card going into Toronto. So I was like, you know, and of course I'm at, touch my face immediately after that. So it's okay. Better rub some <laughs> hand sanitizer on my face too. Cause that doesn't burn like hell. So yeah, that was where I was. And then I, but you know, I would be at home anyways. So that didn't really change anything else for me. So, so for the show that you did in Quebec, the one you did get to do, was it, was there any, like, I guess, I guess in the early parts, you're, everybody was just when you're traveling, that's when you're at the greatest risk. But doing the show, for your job, you're in close contact with human beings, several of them. You're near others. Is there Was there any sort of anxiety about that from, from you or from anybody who was on that show? Honestly, if the worst virus you get from an audience of wrestling fans is COVID-19, you're probably still pretty lucky. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are some places where, you know, the virus you get from them is stabbing. Uh, yes. so I, I really don't think that this is, I was in Mexico last year and I just remember thinking at a certain point, I was like, I, I, the audience is taking this serious in the wrong way in that 
they know it's a work, but I feel like they'd still stab you anyway just because they think they can get away with it because, hey, it's a wrestling show, man. It's, it's heat. You should want that, right? It's totally cool if I stab you because that means you're a good heel. I'm just telling you you're a good heel by stabbing you. Take note of the internet. Um, just just so anyone knows, anyone who's like, no, it's okay that I call you really shitty uh, F slurs and all these other things because you're a heel and I'm helping. Oh, they chanted it. Oh. The entire crowd. This is and, it, and in English, this wasn't even, so this wasn't even necessarily the native Tijuana uh, fans. This was oh yeah, this was Americans. like trash bag. This was yeah. trash bags from like San Diego. Yep. Yeah. So that and that was one of those ones where I just remember thinking like, man, you know, guys, I feel enough shame sometimes when I have to tell people what I do for a living. Don't don't make my job worse for me. Don't make it worse that I have to admit this is what I do. <laughs> I know this is like totally off topic, but it's something that has been bugging me this whole kind of pandemic. All of the Verhoeven movies, they're all like you know this post-apocalyptic or post whatever, they always, and they're satirical, they always have these commercials that are like, in Robocop 2, where the woman's like, hey, it's Sunblock 8000 or whatever it is, so you can go out in the sun. I have been, all of these things where these, like, they're cheery, and I get why people do it, these cheery DIY, like, do, 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 make your own mask so you can go to the store without dying or infecting an old person. It's so creepy to me. Um, I know why we do it, but it is so, like, dystopian. I saw a mask advert with this woman who was, like, still sexy, but in a mask. <laughs> I was like, we're, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing now? Like, you still got to be sexy in a mask? It's just, it's, it's, I, I, I know how advertising works, but it is so dystopian and fucking weird to me. It always comes back down to the logic of if we, we, it, it's that weird level of denial while accepting it's happening because you're accepting the thing is happening. You're accepting that the, there is a pandemic, that there is a virus, that it do, is potentially deadly, but you're almost in denial of what that means because if you admit what it means, then you have to deal with the overwhelming depression. And it, it, it's the old thing of like, if you break your leg, as long as you don't look at it and see the bone sticking out, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll be calm and can get to the hospital and you can get your leg put set and put back in place and all that stuff. But the second you look at it and see that bone sticking out, even if it doesn't physically hurt anymore, now you're freaking out. That's so right. We, so send us yeah. your sexiest mask selfies. <laughs> uh, it's not just a germ trap. It's a thirst trap. There we go. <laughs> You know what I feel bad for now is the superheroes who they, they cover everything except for their mouths. <laughs> yeah, Batman's in trouble. Yeah, Spider-Man, is the, he's the smartest of the group. He Full yeah. head, full eyes. Mm-hmm. But like Captain America, oh, he's screwed. It's, it's really going to hit him hard. He's, he's way over 70. Black Panther, so. he's safe. But yeah. Bucky, not so much. No. Sorry, Buck. That pretty hair is not saving you this time. <laughs> Unless he's in the full gear from the movie. He's got that mask on. There is only one Bucky I acknowledge, and that is 1990s Nomad Bucky. Ooh, all right. That, that is a, man. It's a bit of a deep cut, but Bucky walking around with the baby and a shotgun fighting crime. <laughs> the ultimate 90s version of a superhero. What, what's his power? <laughs> he can't die and he's got a gun. <laughs> I swear we're going to talk about wrestling at some point, but have has, has, has there been television or film that you've been catching up on? Something that you that you haven't seen before that's been on your list that you've that you've gotten into lately? Not inherently on my list, but I came across, apparently it's been out for almost a year now, but uh, I think You Should Leave was oh, one of them. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Which yes, I yes. completely taken aback by. Because uh, <laughs> I I'd started watching, um, shortly before this happened, I actually started watching Documentary Now for the first time. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Tim Robinson appears in a couple of those episodes. So I, I recognized him. I was like, oh, I'll give this a shot. And I was completely blown away by how funny it was. And the fact that they actually kept the episodes around 
18 to 20 minutes as opposed to trying to grind out an hour mm-hmm. was an impressive choice. But then I also, uh, since it started, I, I binged all of uh, Black as Fuck, which... Okay. I haven't seen that one yet. The best way to describe it is it is to Blackish what Curb Your Enthusiasm is to Seinfeld. Okay. Where you have the show clearly they wanted to make, but were told for 20 years they couldn't make because it was it was too much for people to deal with. And then they made the safe show for a while and got told, okay, we trust you. You can do this on HBO or on Netflix. And then they did, and no one was ready for it. Because right. it, it goes way, it goes way, way harder than any. Literally, every the title of every episode is some variant of "Yes, this is also because of slavery." Oh, all right. They explain it clearly. It's a good. Yeah, that's a valid point. Another recommendation, if you have Hulu, is uh, a little a little cult. This is more comedy legend than like the greatest thing ever. But uh, the Dana Carvey show, which was his project right after Saturday Night Live, is is in its entirety on Hulu. I think there are maybe twelve episodes total before it got canceled. Was that the sketch show? Yeah, they actually have a documentary about it as well. Yeah. Uh, too, mm. called Too Funny to Fail. Yes. And they interview everyone that was attached to the show. And I think they may have buried it a little bit because they've released the documentary shortly before all the stuff with Louis C.K. came out. Mm. And he was one of the writers on the show. Mm-hmm. So there are interviews with him in the documentary. Okay. So I think Hulu may have sort of pushed that one down to kind of like, okay, let's let's not talk about this so much. Well, we'll have it available, yeah. but we're not going to push it as hard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a uh... <laughs> good call. Well, he he had a very tight schedule. He had to make sure he made time to be a complete piece of shit. Exactly. How does the the independent wrestling scene? What does it look like right now? Is it is there an idea of like we're trying to schedule things a few months down the road, or is everything canceled until further notice? What, it's a it mix like of the there? two. There there are some promoters who are trying to be optimistic and are still still have stuff booked for. I mean, as recent or as soon as July. Mm-hmm. Because their logic is we're better off, you know, they're trying to hedge their bets. Like if we put it in July, if everything's open back up, we might still get to put the show on. Uh, and then there are other people who are just indefinitely putting things off or putting things off to later in the fall or even the winter. Um, mm. It's 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 a gamble because unfortunately what we might wind up doing as a society is taking the, you know, to hell with it, whatever happens, happens route until it gets way worse. Because right now it does still seem like a lot of the um, a lot of the actual outbreaks are still sort of localized in mass in certain areas. Mm-hmm. You have I know uh, Orlando is actually really bad, which is part of the reason I don't go out. Well, I don't go out anyway. But part of the reason I don't go out now <laughs> is because Orlando is one of the hardest hit areas. But it's just no one talks about it because Ron DeSantis is a complete scumbag who's done everything he can to hide this fact. Mm-hmm. I know people who work as physical therapists and nurses in, in New York, and I've heard the horror stories of like one of them. Uh, one of them works in an old folks' home doing physical therapy and just like yeah they're dead like they're getting you know people die and they're getting told more or less yeah you're sick coming to work doesn't matter Ugh. we don't care in the same way you have uh i think a, a lot of wrestling companies just sort of taking the or believing that okay we'll just get told at some point the all clear has been you know thrown up and we can run a show and if it ha- if something happens something happens if it doesn't it doesn't some are actually planning to do some social distancing and uh and hand out PPE and things like that. But one of the biggest concerns is like WWE runs a venue. It's 10,000 people. You could fill it with 5,000 people. And basically the rule is like your group can sit in whatever maximum group of five can sit in this space. But then you have to have like whatever three seats between you and the next group. If you have a 500 seat building for a small independent show and you sell 500 tickets, there's, you can't distance people. It's impossible. The physical space isn't there. 
So now companies have to severely limit the number of tickets they can sell, which risks low, which lowers their profitability, which makes running the show right. almost pointless. Right. Or they have to run without fans. Uh, I think Beyond is the only company that can really pull that off right now because that was their, their well. Beyond subtly was originally run uh, as a non-customs customs company, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where basically they were running normal matches, but with no crowd, and were selling it to a customs audience, to people who wanted to see customs matches. That's why they were so big on intergender wrestling uh, at the beginning. They've never hidden this. They've never been secretive about it. That was just the marketing of it. It's the same reason why you'll notice, like, me and Tim Thatcher uh, wrestled in Beyond uh, their December 31st show, 2018. And that match has, I think, like 50,000 views. And the intergender match between, I want to say, it's like Chris Dickinson and Chris Statlander has like 3 million views. Mm. That, yeah, that's not an accident. That's very much the audience. A lot of their audience, they're not really interested in seeing two guys just having a normal wrestling match, but they want to see an intergender match. So they're used to, they can run a no audience show and it's not an uncommon thing. But it's also a matter of the cost versus the payoff. When they were doing that originally, it was the cost of their shows was very low. But a lot of their talent has become more notable. Their prices have gone up, things like that. So it becomes kind of a, it's kind of hard to justify spending, you know, five grand on a show that makes you, you know, four grand. So it is a challenge for a lot of them. Especially, yeah, and venue rental and all of that other stuff. Like those are those are costs that you have to cover. And obviously venue rental, they're going to, all the venues are going to have to start lowering what they, yeah, I just... I don't see it being profitable for anyone unless it's going to be one of the things where, yeah, you rent a venue and then you just stream it and people pay to watch the streaming. That's that. I mean, and a lot of the companies do that already, but the problem is they yeah. do it through, well, it's not really a problem, but they, they do it through groups like fight and uh, IWTV, which are good companies. Don't get me wrong, but the issue is your profit from them is so much lower than say doing a direct sell on like pivot share or something like that. Yeah. Where you'd say, okay, here's 10 bucks for the show. And that's it. And it goes all to the company. But if you do something like, again, you do a fight TV stream, you're getting maybe $2 out of the $20 they're charging. Do you ever think, because I've done and they've been doing it in stand up in other places. Do you think that doing a Zoom live streaming where people pay, you know, 10 bucks to watch it, do you think that that's something that could be viable? Theoretically, but the issue is always going to come back down to, uh, how can I put this? You're almost adding in an artificial audience right. with that. The problem would be, I guess doing it via Zoom wouldn't really add anything. Right. And even then, watching the show live is still a question. I, I think that's the biggest issue is that if people want the show live, the methods for broadcasting it live are very limited if you want to make a profit on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're doing it through something like, a, again, like a pivot share or even YouTube, if you're doing it for sale through them, where you're at least getting the majority of the money, it, it's probably a better bet for the companies. But it's also, there's then no, uh, there's, there's no urgency to watch the show. You can get mm-hmm. the show whenever. And that becomes an issue again for the company because even if the show makes a profit, if it takes five years to make the profit, what was the point? You know, it's, you want the profit within a certain span of time. And that, that's just, uh, it, it's going to dissuade a lot of people from trying. Thrilling Adventure Hour, a show that I've done in LA for, for years, we've been doing these live streaming shows where they're only available for the first 48 hours. So once we go live, hmm. you, you, if you've paid for a ticket, you have access for 48 hours, then you don't have access anymore. And then later on, we sell the show again. It's all to raise money for charity. So I wonder if there's a way forward there. There's some way to, to work out the business side of it. Well, because I imagine the, it's a lot like... The question is... Sorry, is, like what happened with Trolls 2, right? Where it's like they released it and you have an X amount of time to watch it. It actually wound up doing really well. And then there will be a secondary rental market. Is that kind of what you're talking about? It's something something like that. But also the, the question is, will smaller independent promotions 
will they technically be able to produce something that's watchable that that somebody would want to pay to watch as opposed to like there's something to being there live for for an independent show, right? Well, the the live experience for wrestling, not even just independent shows, really is a big part of the appeal. You could literally watch a show live and enjoy it, and then go back and watch it on on a tape or video and realize it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Part of the enjoyment mm-hmm. is the experience of being there. I very distinctly have a memory of me and my older brother when I graduated high school. We drove down to Los Angeles to see uh, Heat Wave 2000, the ECW pay per view, the only time they did a pay per view in California. I remember I actually had set the VCR, I think, to record Raw when we were coming back. I got back and I watched the tape of Raw, and I remember being bored to tears by it. And this was, and that was my first live show that I'd ever been to. And the watching even even watching ECW Heat Wave 2000 back on video, it's not that good. Not compared to how it felt when I was there live. Right. So right. I, I think the idea of a lot of the selling point for independent wrestling really is seeing it live and being having the experience of being that close, the energy of having people there. So the second you start removing these building blocks, and I've told people before when I actually will tell them to watch matches, I always say you have to watch a match at least once with the sound muted. Mm. Because you'll be surprised how many matches get carried by commentary and reaction of the audience that if you take those things away, you have a good match, don't get me wrong, but not necessarily this amazing classic that has to be, that has to be watched over and over again for, for all throughout eternity. There are even some matches where it's like there'll be one big bump or one big move, and everyone goes, oh my God, the match was so crazy. And you go, well, look at the match compared to everything else that those two have done in their previous matches, and it's virtually the same, except for right. you know they did a top rope reverse Hurricane Rana, and that was it. That was the one big spot. But you get so caught up in that feeling, that group mentality of, man, this is so crazy. It's everyone's reacting to it. And you feel that. And it's, it's, I mean, again, it's, it's like the difference between dancing by yourself and how awkward that feels. And someone who goes to a club and dances around people. Or it's COVID dance by yourself. You guys, it's a fucking pandemic dance by yourself. Take your pants off. We're good. Pan- <laughs> well, that, so, so that'd be pandemic at the disco. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you, sir? Oh, I will. You, you don't even know the ones I've pulled out. I've, I've got, <laughs> I've got jokes on jokes on jokes. <laughs> but yeah, no. So it, it, it absolutely reminds me of like the live stand-up experience where you can have one grump grump that's not laughing, even if everything's hilarious, and it will ruin it for a whole section of the audience. But if everyone is in it and you're hot, then everything is working. And a lot of uh, obviously the appeal of that is the audience feeding off of each other. And a lot of that is is that because you can get so close, there is the danger element. And I think that that is a lot of what people go to indie wrestling for. They go because they might have someone fall on top of them. Um, like that's part of what the appeal is. And that again is, is it adds to the energy of the experience. You're going to have that, that little rush of adrenaline because something so dangerous happened. It's, it's like seeing a live animal show. Right? Cruelty aside, uh, it's about equally as cruel as two humans. <laughs> I mean, it's probably yeah, about the same. Oh. It's about the same, yeah. But the point is, is you know the lion in theory, isn't going to eat the trainer. But you also know it's a possibility they could. Everyone who goes to see a Siegfried and Roy show knew there was a possibility one of the Tigers was going to attack one of them. Just no one was prepared for the day it actually happened. When it really did happen, no one was ready for that because it was actually scary. You want the illusion of danger. You want the closeness to danger, but you don't want actual danger because actual danger has actual risk and consequence. And that's what I think is going to be lacking in trying to do any of the alternatives to just running a traditional show with an audience. But it also creates the problem of wrestling audiences and wrestlers and promoters. They're not patient people. They never have been. Mm. So now you wind up in a situation where no one wants to wait. And if no one wants to wait, then it feels like someone's going to promote a show and there's 
that risk of an outbreak at the show, which no one, I, I remember people even telling the story about how the uh, last beyond show, uh, the, how everyone got horribly sick after the beyond show, uh, last new year's Eve beyond show. Oof. And that's one show where it might not even have been that it could have just been a flu or whatever going around random virus. Yeah. There was a nasty flu. I got it. Like there was a nasty flu in November, December that I got when I flew home to Seattle. That was like super not fun. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I hate to paint with a broad stroke here, but wrestling fans aren't exactly known for their hygiene. I'll tell you what, everybody take a break, wash your pits, just wash the stinky areas. Just let's just start there. And uh, while you do that, we'll have, uh, we'll have some previews of other shows on the network. If you want to talk about anything or trade grooming tips, you can do that with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord via the links in our show notes. We'll be back to talk more with Simon Grimm up next on Tyson Fights. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Kilmartin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh, I'm a stand-up. I've been doing stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984. And uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's the Jackie and Lori show, and you should subscribe on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. <laughs> and I would encourage you not to. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm joined today by... Danielle Radford. And... The least popular man in pro wrestling, Simon Gatch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Simon, have you watched the WWE, AEW? Have you been watching sort of what they've been doing? I have caught several clips and shorter matches of some of the stuff they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm in that mode where I, if it's not something I specifically have sought out because I really enjoy it, I tend right. to watch wrestling now in clip form. Mm, okay. Uh, just to sort of be aware of what's going on, but a lot of the time, it's I watch wrestling very clinically at this point in my life. Um, yes. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've I've been wrestling for 18 years. It'll be 19 in August. I've been watching wrestling for 35 years almost. Uh, it's very hard for me to just watch a match and enjoy it if it isn't something very specific. Like if you send me, you know, Doctor Death versus Kobashi from like '96. Okay, I'll I'll sit down and watch that. Right. But if you say, hey, we've got the latest episode of NXT, I'm just and we'll be like, okay, what is there anything interesting happening? Show me the two-minute clip of it, and then I'll have whatever thought I have on it. Man, Twitter gifts. I feel like everyone's doing it for the gift now. Well, from a marketing standpoint, it's the easiest way to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. The reality of it is there's actually a, a wonderful wrestler in England, Lord Gideon Gray, who climbed into a balcony at the uh, Res Gallery, which is where a Pro Wrestling Eve and a couple other companies run shows, mm-hmm. Lucha Britannia, mm-hmm. that, that, those places. And people started chanting, please don't jump. And he yelled, I'm doing it for the gif. Oh no! He's oh, a he's he, 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 uh, oh, no he's he's a wonderful human being. I, I absolutely. Oh no no I think he's no, great. I think everyone. Yeah yeah yeah. It's good. We're, all, we're all concerned for him. Yeah. No, we're but, not, oh no he, don't, We're like oh. It, it's not okay. that. It's it's not that high of a balcony to be honest. It's maybe okay. it, above the ring. We're talking. It, basically, a steel cage would be about the same bump. If we're, if we're oh, kind of okay high okay. But see how I'm a pussy and a steel cage already sounds like not a like. <laughs> <laughs> you know you want to know what the the worst of ever I've I've been in. One steel cage match, and the worst thing that happened to me in it, uh, it was an eight-man war games cage match. Well, we didn't call it that because we couldn't legally, but it was basically that. Me and Marshall Von Eric were in the ring at the opening. 
So we were in the match the whole time. Everybody else came out in their various increments. At one point, I crawled under the turnbuckles to sort of catch my wind, and it was so hot in the building that sweat was pouring down all the turnbuckles, and I felt it start dripping on my face oh. when I was on the ground. Man, <laughs> we were wilding in the before time. Just, like, sweat on the face. I shared a sandwich with a friend, like, back in January. We were oh. wilding. What were we doing? Oh, I have a clip of uh, I wrestled Pat Monix in a uh, no-DQ match in Chicago a couple years ago, and there is a clip of me licking his blood off of my wrist tape. Oh, what are we doing? Oh, we were so free. We were so free. There, there is a saying going around: if you ever worked for IWA Mid South, you're probably immune to COVID because that <laughs> that canvas had never been cleaned. It almost killed two people. That's not a joke. There were there were. Uh, if you're familiar with PWG, early PWG, uh, yeah. Chris Bosch and uh, Quicksilver both almost died because of I think Roderick Strong and Davey Richards both got staff infections from wrestling at IWA Mid, Mid South. Jesus. Wrestled in PWG, and then Quicksilver and and, uh, and Chris both got really bad staff. In fact, I, I think Bosch wasn't as bad, but Quicksilver actually wound up in the ER and almost died. Yeah. They both retired from wrestling after that. They were just done with it. They were like, uh, so uh, th- my question before about watching WWE or AEW is just from the clips you've seen. Is there one company that you feel is sort of handling? this weird situation better in terms of the product that they're putting out? Personally, not not really. I, I think part of the issue is always going to be is that it's still a very new idea. Mm-hmm. And I think AEW had the opportunity to go more of a Lucha Underground route, with, particularly since they brought in Matt Hardy. Obviously, that hasn't been their primary choice, and it might make for a little bit of a weird aside for the company. I, I would say one thing they're failing to do right now, not just them, oh, it, it's a little bit more of an issue for them because the way AEW started, it counted heavily on you having watched Being the Elite regularly and knowing who yeah, all these characters absolutely. were. And, know, yep. and there, was no, there was no introduction. There was no, and I understand to a certain extent the decision not to do that because I remember hearing about how TV shows in the 80s and 90s, they used to structure them to where there was no continual story throughout the season because they never wanted people to feel like they missed something if they missed an episode or didn't tune or just tuned in. Right. They wanted every episode to feel like the first episode. Yep. Which led to some weird things like bring up a odd show, Tequila and Bonetti, which <laughs> was the not talking dog show with uh, I think it was Bruce Blackslackner or one of those guys. <laughs> uh, one of the characters, a cop, she has her brother get kidnapped or murdered like three different times, and it's never the same brother, and she's never said to have more than one brother. <laughs> And that's funny, though. That's, 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 that's weird. Uh, which is funny, but so, yeah, if you're tuning in for the first time, it's like, okay, that doesn't affect you. But in the nature of uh, AEW, you had characters coming out and no one really knew who anyone was. And this would actually be a good opportunity. I mean, I'd say spend the money on the footage, to see what you can get yeah. from Ring of Honor, see what you can get from uh, New Japan, and put together almost episodes that are more like, okay, this is Kenny Omega, this is who he is, do interviews with him, show behind the scenes stuff. These are the Young Bucks, this is their story, and almost use this as an introductory time because it's an easy it's easy filler that was a huge hump that hal had when we first started like he was getting into AEW because like me and kelk like we watch a lot of uh new japan and we you know we watch being the elite we, we go to pwg yeah. like we know all these things i had um, seen and less hal, of it i knew, who, they, I knew who a lot of people were but at the same time i and i wanted to like look i'm happy to watch more i'm happy to learn more and i want to be let in and it felt like a lot of times that I wasn't or the people who I get more invested in, I get invested in because of, of what I've seen from them so far, not anything that they've that they've 
uh, you know, like Kenny Omega, I've seen some of his Japan stuff. I know how great he is. So that that's fine. But like MJF is somebody who I connected with a lot quicker because I liked his heel work and he appealed to me and I didn't need to know as much about him because I'm going to, you know, he's young enough that I'm going to grow with him as he's on the television show. Mm-hmm. And that's it's something that actually got brought up uh, not too long ago. There's some people that were bothered by the uh, Marco Stunt um, Lance Hoyt match mm-hmm. because the, the the thing I, I try to I tried to point out to people about this is Marco has two choices. He either has to be kept completely away from anything serious, or he has to be the giant killer. And in order for him to be the giant killer, he has to earn that. He has to get killed by by the monsters before. It's kind of like if Luke Skywalker in the first movie, gets the lightsaber and kills Darth Vader right away. You don't know why he why it's a big deal that he killed Vader. You wouldn't know why it was a big deal that he mastered the lightsaber right away. He has to earn that. So it's similar to what they did with Spike Dudley. Spike Dudley's initial run in ECW was probably the most perfect setup for a, a giant killer gimmick. And ultimately, it was because they brought him out there with the Dudley boys, and they had him get killed week after week after week after week. And then eventually, he beat them, and it was, okay, Spike Dudley's the giant killer. And then it's like, Rhino needs an opponent. Rhino's calling out whoever's got the guts to face him. Out comes Spike Dudley, and Spike takes it to him. Mike Awesome needs an opponent. Out comes Spike Dudley, takes it to him. And even if he doesn't win, he's now been established as a credible threat. Same thing with Rey Mysterio. Rey spent the majority of his WCW career in the cruiserweight division with a few ventures out into the uh, working with heavyweights. But when he got to, uh, to WWE, they didn't really have a cruiserweight division. So they had to start booking him with bigger guys, and they had to establish that Ray can hold his own. If you just have Ray hold his own right away, then it's like, okay, he's just another guy. It's the same thing with when it, it's actually the reverse problem you have with a giant. Whenever you put a giant out there, if they don't kill everybody right away and for a while, then them being there doesn't matter. They're just another wrestler on the roster. The thing that makes them special is that they are so much bigger and that guys do get destroyed really quickly. You got to lift but, an ambulance. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe in that. That's the one thing I hate. <laughs> I, I despise... The super gimmicky, over-the-top, ridiculously... It's one of those deals where I look at it like the hell in the cell. It's a 30-foot-high cage. It's 15 feet high. Have you fallen from 15 feet high? It's really far and hurts a lot. You don't need to lie. You don't need to tell me that it's a 30-foot-high cage for me to be worried. I stand up on a stool in your house and see how far down it feels. It doesn't... If you're not impressed by seeing him really do something... Why would him doing the fake thing impress you? I, that's what I ne- I've never appreciated is when they do that with guys. It's, it's if he can really flip an ambulance, let him do it. But if he can't, if he can, but he can deadlift nine hundred pounds, let him deadlift the nine hundred pounds in front of people. Let them know he can do that. I do. I do like watching dumb shit like people lift an ambulance. It's so dumb. The grappling hook drove me insane. That one, <laughs> I w- I lost my mind when I saw that about how. Because the first thing I thought was, why the hell is there a grappling hook? He's, he's not Mabel. This isn't Gravity Falls. Why would he have the grappling hook as a response to that? No one would. And even then, if you can pull down the staging with a grappling hook, I feel like you've done a bad job setting that up. I don't want to meet the union rep that has to explain why a single human being, no matter how large they are, was able to pull down this stage with just a grappling hook. That is a hell of an OSHA call. Oh, well, because WWE handles unions so well, you know. (laughs) I did not say that. Nobody said that. That, No one said that. That wasn't said. said No, it wasn't said. said. Um, One of the things I've seen you doing uh, online, um, and and you were doing it before this time, 
was you were offering to critique critique people's matches. They could send you video of a match, you critique it because you've done work as a as a as a teacher and a trainer as well. What is the most common mistake, but both physically and just in the terms in terms of storytelling in a match that you see over and over again? Well, the most common mistake I see is that people repeat things they've seen on TV with no context. Mm. A joke in the same way works on setup and payoff. But if you expand the idea of setup and payoff, you notice that it works in pretty much every aspect of storytelling in movies, the old Chekhov's gun thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the time with wrestling, you have people who, I, I explained this in a, there's a podcast I did with a friend of mine, uh, Harry Aaron, who's a photographer. He does a lot of stuff for uh, Limitless Wrestling out of Maine and uh, Beyond Wrestling. Uh, he has also, uh, he's done photography stuff for WWE, NXT, uh, NBA. He's a really good guy. Uh, but Harry has a podcast called Learning to Fall. And we were talking about it because I'd explained to him before that we're in this weird generational thing with wrestling where we're like seven generations deep of guys who grew up watching 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 guys who were wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff we do, we do without questioning it. And the first thing I tell people in whenever I run a seminar is ask me questions and question everything I'm telling you. Like to my face, tell me if something doesn't make sense. Tell me if you need an explanation. Because I, if I can't respond, if I can't explain why I'm doing this or why I'm teaching this or why I believe this, then I don't have much of an argument. To, to quote uh, Rodney Dangerfield, I was watching uh, back, to, back to School the other day, how do you know the last guy wasn't crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who underlined that, that passage in the book may have been crazy. He might not know what he's talking about. So if you're just looking for the underlining that other people have done and assuming it must be right, you're going you're gonna to run into that stuff a lot. But I would see things like people would do like Memphis Heel TV spots with the ref and my first thought is, okay, well, can you not do a job in this town clean? No. The, well, then why'd you do that finish? Because those finishes were done usually because, uh, sorry, brother, this is Tupelo, Mississippi. You know, I got a lot of got a lot of people here who support me. I can't do a job in Tupelo, so yeah, we got we got to do some got to do a little gaga there for the finish. But then guys copy these finishes because they've seen them and go, oh, well, Arn Anderson's a good wrestler, so this spot must be good. Well, it worked for Arn thirty years ago, and that's good for Arn thirty years ago. But there's a reason why art, and again, stand up comedy. There was a point where the, the rapid-fire one-liner was how you did comedy. And even before that, it was the slow one-liner. You'd go up, you'd tell a joke, people would laugh, you'd tell another joke, people would laugh. Then it got to be the rapid-fire one-liners. And I think the last guy to really do that was uh, Andrew Dice Clay, at least the last one I remember, where it was just one-liner, 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 because he was doing basically Rodney Dangerfield's bit. And now, But hornier. But hornier, yes. I, I actually I have, a, I have a photo saved in my phone of Atsushi Onida dressed up as a police officer. And every once in a while, I will I will send it to people when I feel like they need to go to horny jail. <laughs> well, uh, that that'll bring us into something I'll talk about later. There's a lot of people who need to go to horny jail. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's wrestling fans again are lonely. But um, the we'll point talk being about is that later when we get to the three count. <laughs> another another issue that comes up was the uh, the heel yelling at the referee. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate it, and the reason I hate it is because you can't pin the ref. You can't beat the ref. You can't make the ref submit. So the ref doesn't actually affect the. You can't win by fighting the ref. And if you lay hands on the ref, you're disqualified. What, one thing I, I genuinely enjoyed doing, I did it on a house show once in NXT. We were wrestling the Ascension, and uh, Sean Bennett, who's one of the refs, he admonished me, and I stopped and looked at him, and I went, you're right, I'm sorry, I will not do it again. And he started laughing. All I hear is, I've never heard that before. <laughs> and I, I genuinely did not cheat after that in the match because I'd been admonished. If this is, it's like soccer. Once they throw down that yellow card, you have the choice of taking the ejection with the red card or following the rules for the rest of the match. Those are your two choices. And weirdly, wrestlers will keep trying to get like another yellow card despite the fact there is no second yellow card. The ref should disqualify you. But so many kids are so used to watching wrestling and going, 
well, Ric Flair did this. Yeah, that worked for Flair. Flair was over like a motherfucker. You can't tell Ric Flair what to do. But until you get to that point, you have to think about these things more critically. Uh, one of my favorite things to tell people is that less is more when you're over. Mm. Until you get over, more is more. No one ever paid full price for a half-eaten cheeseburger. That's I, I stole. The, I will not. I, I will not credit my source on that one, but that because he's a bad person. But it's an old. <laughs> it, it was an utterance that occurred in, uh, I believe, FCW, that almost got a guy fired because what? his response to less is more was to raise his hand and tell the the trainers. No, it isn't. More is more. You guys just say that because you're lazy. Would you pay full price for a half-eaten cheeseburger? And everyone sitting next to him immediately got smaller and pushed away slightly. Yeah, exactly. Just like a clearance. Just avoiding the the empty beer bottle that was about to get thrown at his face. But uh, Mm. Oh, my God. I can talk about this forever. Danielle, do you have anything you want to ask because I, I I've been asking I've been doing the thing okay I, I have a question off this. oh Julian yeah. we have a question from Julian yeah yes, um, Go ahead. Simon I think we we talked about this very briefly on Twitter uh not that long ago where um where it seems like fans I don't want to say that it's dishonest because I you know you're allowed to feel however you want about whatever you're watching but I just sometimes it feels like fans are are willing to watch wrestling like the kid at the at the who's watching the magician and it's trying to call out that something's fake constantly like they want to be like no 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 that's no mm-hmm. i could see that they're doing that wrong or he oversold that constantly why do you think we got to that point <laughs> i guess <laughs> so okay so we're going to have to go to one thing that people don't like talking about which is the uh the four letter f word in wrestling that no one likes to use which is fake when someone says wrestling is fake they're referring to two very different things. The first thing they're referring to is that it is a, not a legitimate contest where two people are trying to win a fight. That is very specifically what they're referring to. But the second half of that, and the part that usually makes it so, shall we say, aggressive when you have someone hitting you with a, you know wrestling's all fake, right? Right. Is that they're trying to inform you they know it's a con and they will not be con. That don't try and tell them it's real because they know it's not. And if someone says that to you, if they go, oh, wrestling's fake, if you go, yeah, it is, they're going to go, oh. And almost 100% of the time, they go, oh, well, don't those guys really get hurt? Yeah. But, you know, stuntmen really get hurt. Jackie Chan isn't actually fighting a gang full of random people in Rumble in the Bronx, but he still got hurt making the movie repeatedly. Broke his ankle, uh, got lacerations from beer bottle, all sorts of stuff. We feel so attacked by the phrase fake, or by the word fake, that we miss the point. That it's a conversation piece. I bring this up because... When wrestling became so openly at work, the audience had to start trying to justify their fandom. And what happens is then they go and try and look at wrestling from a wrestler standpoint or from a business standpoint. Wrestling is not a business. Wrestling was never the business. The business was the con. The business was the misrepresentation of what you were seeing as a legitimate contest. That was the business. That was what people were trying to protect because it was criminal to do that. There's a t-shirt that says pro wrestling is not a crime. And I'm like, well, it sure as fuck used to be. So... (laughs) But we look at a lot of this stuff and we go, okay, why do we like wrestling? And they try to look at it from the wrestler standpoint. And they'll hear things like, oh, wrestling is all about drawing money. Yeah, when you were getting paid off the gate, wrestling was about drawing money because that was how you made your living. But objectively, as an art form, that's like saying movies are all about making money. To a certain extent, they are. And to some people in the industry, they are. But do you think that when John Carpenter was making the thing, that he was really concerned with how much money he was going to make? That he's always like, oh man, we're going to make so much money off this movie. 
however you want to slice it, wrestling it does have aspects of art in it. They don't appro- the good ones never approach it as this will make money because then you're making a product that's a camel. You're making something to please people. You're not making something good. And if we know one thing about people, it's that they really don't know what they like. They know what they're told to like. But getting back on track here, what winds up happening in this in this environment is now instead of listening to or just enjoying what you enjoy, people are now trying to justify it by going, oh, well, this guy was a good draw. This guy's a good bump and heel. Oh, this guy had a great promo. A promo was literally a commercial for a match. And the reason wrestlers would say, oh, hey, it's all about the promo was because, again, if this is a real fight, you just need to be convinced to watch it, which means you need to understand why you should like this guy A and why you should hate guy B. Unfortunately, people misunderstood that and thought, oh, so promos are the most important thing. If promos are so important, then why is it WWE still doing matches despite the fact they don't have an audience? Why aren't they just doing promos? Why is it when a professional wrestler bails on a show or can't do a show for some reason and they go, hey, man, instead of giving you your your money back that you paid me, how about I just cut a promo and you can air at the show? The promoter goes, no. Because at the end of the day, the show is always going to be about the wrestling. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you break it down, even something like the, what was it, the Boneyard match? What was the one uh, Mm -hmm. Taker and uh, AJ did? Yep. At the end of the day, it's a pro wrestling match. They may have shot it like a fight scene, but I didn't see blood squibs. I didn't see wire work. I didn't see any of that stuff. I saw two guys essentially having a pro wrestling match in the confines of a movie set. So if that's the case, then there's very basis for what a lot of fans will say. I mean, there, there are wrestling fans who will listen to someone like Vince Russo and just parrot whatever he says and be like, oh, bro, you got to get over with, uh, with casuals. But audience members have this completely warped understanding because they will hear a Vince Russo or a Jim Cornette or a whatever random old shoot interview that's up on YouTube for free. And they'll go, oh, that's what wrestling's about. That's what I should like. I saw someone defending Jinder Mahal saying, well, he's a good bump and heel. Regardless of your opinion of Jinder, how does that affect your enjoyment as a fan? As a fan... Why does him being a good bumping heel, something that would matter to a baby face who's got a fiery comeback and needs a good bumping heel, why would that matter to you as a fan? It wouldn't. It, 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 does, become, it does become challenging because the audience is trying to justify their fandom by, by, in their mind, approaching wrestling the way wrestlers approach it, but they don't understand the reasoning and that, again, the same thing with saying, well, a guy's a good draw. Okay, that affects him. How does that affect you? As an audience member, have you ever been sitting in a crowd and being like, man, so many people here. This is a great match. Like, I, I can't imagine someone literally just going, if I asked you, how, how was the show? Oh, dude, it was a sellout. How are the matches? Oh, man, let me tell you something. They drew a hell of a house tonight. But how did you like it? The ratings for this segment were insane. <laughs> Do you not have an opinion? on? Did you not enjoy it? And if you don't enjoy wrestling, why watch wrestling? There are, so many, better, there are many better shows to watch than wrestling if you don't enjoy wrestling. You could probably, you could probably turn on Hulu and pick anything at random. And it finds something you like more than wrestling if you don't like wrestling. So why watch wrestling to not enjoy it? I don't get that. This is, this is fantastic. If you have any thoughts on this, people listening, there's no way you don't. And you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Be the links in our show notes and keep this conversation going. We're going to be back after this break with some things from the wrestling world that you should know about. This is Tights and Fights. 
Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Springfield. Round Springfield is a new Simpsons podcast that is Simpsons adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, In its topic, we talk to Simpsons writers, directors, voiceover actors, you name it, about non-Simpsons things that they've done. Because, surprise, they're all extremely talented. Absolutely. For example, David X. Cohen worked on The Simpsons, but then created a little show called Futurama. Mm -hmm. That's our very first episode. So tune in for stuff like that with Yardley Smith, with Tim Long, with different writers and voice actors. It's going to be so much fun. And we are every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Ties and Bites Podcast. Ties and Bites. Welcome back to Ties and Fights. I'm Hal Loveland and I'm joined today by... Danielle Radford. And... Simon Getch. This week, we want to end the show by sharing some of the joy of wrestling with you. This is the three count. Simon, guests go first here. What would you like to put over? Uh, two people I got. I would I would suggest taking a look at. Obviously, you have the the time. One of this all over. Uh, Layla Hirsch, uh, who's a young woman out of I believe uh, Philadelphia, and Matt Mikowski, who's a uh, another wrestler from the area. Uh, Layla's actually an extremely interesting human being. On top of being a very talented wrestler she's going to be huge in the future she's a twin so she has a twin sister she's a russian jewish immigrant who was adopted so she's an adopted child living in the u.s she's a standout amateur wrestler and she's actually already toured for the stardom promotion in japan Mm. so she she's very talented she has got a very she's got a huge upside and honestly she's still only i think 22 or 23 she's actually dating ashley vox of the sea stars so she's a genuinely interesting person and there's a lot of layers here i think people would really be fascinated by also, I, I just have a fascination with anyone who's like five feet tall and can legitimately German suplex people. So, <laughs> so that, that, that's always cool. But uh, I'm Matt Mikowski, who's actually a, a former MMA fighter. I believe he's also out of the Northeast area. I think it's like Philadelphia, maybe uh, maybe Rhode Island, somewhere around there. But Matt is one of the few guys you'll see out there in the marketplace right now who understands how to blend actual combative jujitsu and uh, kickboxing with pro wrestling. A lot of guys have those skill sets, but they never really apply them or they don't know how to use them. But he's phenomenal at doing it and i think he's going to be really big in the next few years and i think everyone should take the time to look up uh, both uh layla hirsch and matt mikowski and enjoy some really good wrestling awesome danielle awesome. what Thank would you, you like to put over wrestle twitter y'all are showing up and showing out y'all decided to bring back wrestle twitter after dark wt od i'm seeing all of my mutuals buck ass naked on the timeline without warning i just want to give it up to, for y'all for doing um whatever you can do to bring smiles to faces uh, during the quarantine by using your boobies and your butts. Um, congratulations to all of you for knowing that the thirst is real and it is what we need. Uh, some of you have OnlyFans and you have uh, done discounts on that for, for people who need it. So I just want to give it up to Wrestle Twitter for um, showing us your buttholes in this trying time. <laughs> Wrestle Twitter after uh, dark. Hashtag from, WDOD. From buttholes to mouthholes, I'm going to put over uh, the continued development of Dr. Britt Baker, DMD yes. on AEW. Really enjoyed the segment this week. It's mm-hmm. worth checking out, which is the tour of her dental offices in, I think she's in Orlando or Tampa. Um, I, I, I believe she's in Orlando because I know that's where uh, Adam Cole lives. So Yes. That, I think her, Jimmy Havoc, who somehow has not exploded due to the sunlight, uh, Kip Sabian, Penelope Ford. Uh, I'm sorry, Penelope Ford. <laughs> if you don't, if you, if no one knows the story behind this, um, I, I guess Booker T was reading results and he didn't know how to pronounce her name. And he said Penelope, 
<laughs> and I immediately got this image in my head of like the old jackalopes, but <laughs> fast yeah. as fast can be. Oh, yes. That does it for this episode of Titan Fights. This week, your hosts were Simon Gotcha and Danielle Radford, along with me, Hal Lublin. Simon, thank you again for joining us. Always a pleasure to, to see you and speak to you. I do what I can. Uh, I'm always glad to help. Tell people <laughs> where they should be following you online. They shouldn't follow me at all. I'm terrible. I am <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm doing what I call the reverse Undertaker. I'm going for 0 and 18. No, no good years in wrestling. Just no, <laughs> no, don't follow. Even right now, I've got nothing to post on social media beyond random thoughts about Disney movies. Look, that's, okay. the, all, that's the content we all need right now. Trolls 2 is a post-apocalyptic hellhole. <laughs> they have K-pop trolls. Which means Korea must have existed, but you see no people. That means this happened after some sort of a nuclear war. <laughs> there you go. The theory is out there. Danielle, anything you need to, you want to promote? Just, uh, you know, follow me on uh, Danielle Radford at uh, Twitter and Instagram. And um, if I'm doing anything, I will be sure that I plug those then. All right. And for me, I'm at Hal Lublin. Anywhere you want to go online, you can keep up with my various exploits there. Our producer has shunned life to live on his island in Animal Crossing. That's Julian Burrell. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Mike Eagle is the voice behind our theme music, so we're putting him over for that. Keep up with us all week long on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to all of those are in our show notes. And if you love what we do, remember to hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts and share us with all your friends. Thank you so much to the Max Fun members who have a portion of their recurring monthly contribution. Keep the lights on while we are here, continuing to bring the show to you even during quarantine. And hey, if you need new clothing, we got a t-shirt. You can buy it and wear us on your body and then explain to your empty cups and things around your house what this podcast is. We'll be back next week for even more, you guessed it, wrestling. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported